Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Honored to have uh, Murray Cornelius with us as our speaker today. Murray is the Executive Director for International Missions of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. He oversees the uh, missions work of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada in 65 countries. This is not a tiny little job he has. And uh, in uh, doing that, he's been able to arrange his schedule to spend this weekend at the neighborhood. And we are honored to have uh, a man with this deep and rich calling on his life and great abilities uh, share with us. I uh, appreciate and love and respect this man. And I invite you to give him a warm welcome. Would you just give him a neighborhood welcome uh, this morning to our service? And uh, right after this video, that video, uh, he is going to come and speak. So uh, listen in on the video. And then, Murray, it's yours. Bless you. When we first came to Cambodia, I came here to teach at a Bible school. Every day for a year, I would drive by the university, which was near the Bible school that I was teaching, and uh, God spoke to me every day that I was supposed to start a work in that university. There was nobody doing ministry or outreach to those students, 20,000 students. And every day I ignored God. Got to the point where his voice was so loud that I could not ignore it anymore. And I went home and I talked to Tiffany and I said, I feel like God is calling us to do this. I said, you're crazy. That wasn't our plan when we came to Cambodia. Uh, But it's really what he felt the Holy Spirit speaking to him. We rented a tiny little place across the street from the university and we opened up a little uh, cafe. I opened the doors, I had two staff members there that were running the coffee shop, and the place sat empty for months. Uh, No students came through the doors, and I felt like I maybe had missed the voice of God. And uh, eventually we got one or two students coming through the door, and I, I would tell them to call their friends, and then their friends came. But it took a whole year of intentional relationship with those students to see anybody making a decision for Christ. Uh, Students from the provinces come into Phnom Penh to study and they don't have university housing here. They don't have a safe place for them to live. So we began to open up a place for students to live. And I remember uh, we took the students out on a camping trip. We went out to an island off the coast of Cambodia. In one of the evenings, I sat with them and I just shared God's heart towards them. And after on the boat ride home, one student after another would come to me and say, can we study the Bible together when we come back to Phnom Penh? It was the moment that I had been waiting for for a whole year. When we returned to the city, I started studying Bibles with them, 
And then it was like the floodgates opened and one by one, students started giving their hearts to the Lord. And uh, they were hungry for more and that worship service turned into preaching and teaching. And from there it turned into, we wanna call our friends to come and we wanna go out and we wanna go to do this. And it was like lodging for a year and working for a year and seeing no fruit, but then the floodgates opening and being in that place where it was like, okay, God, uh, you were right all along and all I had to do was just trust you. All those original students who gave their hearts to the Lord, they are the pastors, they are the teachers, they are the people that are doing the outreach to villages. Students come here to this place, they hear about Christ, they give their life to the Lord, and then they go home and they're bringing Christ with them. And that is the best and most rewarding thing about this ministry. Thank you. It's a real delight to be here. Um, thank you, Pastor John, for the invitation to be able to speak to the congregation. My job today is to give you a little taste of mission, different than the one you're going to have out there. I want you to give a little, a little taste of what God is doing around the world to encourage your hearts. God is doing amazing things all over the world. We tend to hear only the bad news in the world. And I want to share some good news stories with you. God is at work in wonderful ways in the world today, and I want you to get a little taste of that. It's a real delight to be in Saskatchewan. My dad actually pastored up in Canwood. Uh, he came originally from Ontario. He came to Bible college here in Saskatoon. It was Bethel in those days. Uh, my mom came from Winnipeg. They met there, and they pastored up in Canwood, and then God sent them to Africa. And that's where I was born and grew up and did all of my education right through high school. I came back to Canada and studied in, in uh, university, studied science originally, and then God called me into the ministry, and I went to a seminary and uh, uh, got married to a nice, wonderful Canadian girl from Ottawa, uh, ended up pastoring in Canada for a few years, and then the Lord called us to go back uh, to Africa. And we spent 20 years in Zimbabwe, Zambia, and I'll share a little bit of that. But it's just a real delight to be here, and I want to be able to just let you see what God has done through the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada and is doing through those people that you invest in today you're a great mission church. I see it in what you do. You invest a lot in Saskatoon. You invest in Saskatchewan. You invest in north of Canada. You're investing all the way to Quebec. We have a responsibility to our own nation, and I fully understand that. But we also have a responsibility to the world. And my job is to give you a taste of what God is doing in the world today. So I do have a few things on a table out there. One of them is a prayer guide. It's got all of our global workers in it. We really covet the prayers of God's people. We really covet your prayers. We have one of our partners in Senegal. One of the people that our global workers work with was arrested, taken across the border into his home country. 
They've already pronounced a death sentence over him, and his only crime is he was, the, he was teaching people about Jesus Christ. So the work we're in in places is quite dangerous, so we do value your prayer. So drop by, talk to me afterwards. Perhaps you've got an interest in mission. Maybe you're feeling uh, that uh, you want a gap year between university and you'd like to go and have a mission experience. Or maybe you're a young family and you'd like to do something with your family. Or maybe you've got early retirement and you're thinking about going to warmer climates south of here. i got lots of warm places to send you. You don't have to go to Phoenix or Florida or all of those places. There's places you can go and we can engage you in the work of the Lord. So please come and talk to me afterwards. But uh, let me share with you what's on my heart this morning and try and do this very quickly. Be patient with me and my friend that's on the... uh, uh, the PowerPoint, he's had no opportunity to even talk to me about, he's got to try and follow my script, and I don't always follow my script. So be patient with both of us. If we get a little lost once in a while, we'll try and back up and get on the right track. But I do want you to have a, a chance to see a few things. So the Lord sent my wife and I to Harare, and we uh, pastored this church that you see up here on the screen. This is called Upper Room Fellowship. It's right in the center of the city. Uh, the church was on the second floor. We rented out the bottom floor to help pay the bills. And uh, that has been our kind of one of our mother churches in Zimbabwe, from which we have planted many other churches. It's pastored by a wonderful Zimbabwean uh, today, and so uh, that's where the Lord sent us. But Zimbabwe is also a country that went through seasonally, almost every year, significant drought problems. And so, uh, with in partnership with the Canadian Food Grains Bank, and a big thank you to Saskatchewan farmers and the, the excess grain and the lentils and split peas and uh, wonderful canola oil, we were very engaged in, in food relief and, and food sponsorship. In fact, this year, they continue to have a significant drought in Zimbabwe, and they are continuing to provide food to people in different parts of the country. This is where we get, you give a dollar and it gets matched by the Canadian dollars with four dollars. Now you have five and that becomes food programming. But alongside the food programming, we're able to share the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You as a church have also supported very significantly uh, the village of Hope in Zimbabwe. And uh, uh, We started the Village of Hope because of an incredible crisis with HIV AIDS that hit all of Southern Africa. And we started first in Zambia and then in Zimbabwe. This is our Zimbabwe site. When we got this beautiful property, 20 acres, we first thing we did was plant a church because you see it's out of the local church that you minister best to people. And so the local church was the center and is the center of that Village of Hope. You may think that a village hope is an orphanage. It's not an orphanage. It's a place where children are cared for. We have a school. You'll see some of the kids up here. We have 800 children in our school in Zimbabwe. In all of our villages of hope across Southern Africa, uh, only about 5% of our children are residential children. Most of them are cared for in their homes. They may be by extended family, maybe by grandparents. But this problem of HIV AIDS came uh, and it really impacted us personally. We had a young lady that came into our church. Her name was Perfect. In this next slide, you will see her daughter, Pamela. Perfect was 16 years of age when she came to our church. Uh, Isn't that a great name, Perfect? To call a little beautiful baby. Zimbabweans have wonderful names. They give them names like uh, Love, 
peace, joy, blessing, more blessing, love more, give more. That's a good name for Mission Sunday, give more. Every once in a while they have some funny names. One young man in our church, his name was Enough. He was the eighth in his family, and mom said, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> Uh, we had a pastor, his name was Telephone. Uh, I think the, when he was born, the telephone wires went through, and to mark the occasion, he got that auspicious name. But this was perfect, and perfect. Uh, married a young man in the church. Her husband, Leslie, came from a really bad background. He was a, he was a rabble-rouser gang member, uh, needed much to be delivered from, and God got a hold of his life and completely transformed him. He became a deacon in our church. He became a, a leader. He did all the discipleship of new believers. I loved that man. He was just such a, a, a beautiful young man, and when he and Leslie fell in love, I thought, this is great. This is a beautiful young couple. What we didn't know in those early days was the extent of the HIV AIDS virus, and from his life before he knew Jesus, he had contracted the HIV AIDS virus, brought it into the home. Before both of them were 32 years of age, they'd both gone to heaven. That was the story across Southern Africa. It's changed now because of education, more knowledge, better medication. The crisis is not as serious, but it left behind thousands and thousands and even millions of children without parents. And so we had to step into the gap. And Perfect asked on her deathbed, will you look after my children? And I'm happy today that I can stand here and say, Pamela and her younger brother, Daniel. Daniel's a terrific guitar player. Uh, Pamela is now finished university. She is an accountant. She has a good job. She is self-sustaining. She looks after herself. But we were able to walk her through her education, care for her, look after her because of churches like this that supported Villages of Hope and made that possible. Last thing before we left Harare uh, a number of years ago is we planted this final church. It's called Jubilee Christian Center. Uh, it's another uh, significant church now in the city of Ferrari. It's pastored by Pastor Nevermind. Um, you say, what kind of name is that? We just call him Pastor Never. Well, his Shona name is Tirivanuo, which means we are people too. Never mind. And I don't know what his parents were mad about, but they were obviously mistreated in some way, and, uh, and Pastor Never got his name from that. <clears throat> One more story from the Village of Hope. This is now up in Zambia. It's the Village of Hope in Chongwe. Excuse me. Uh, most of the money to build this Village of Hope has come from a Canadian foundation, a, a, a wonderful Christian family that, that uh, uh, did well. God prospered them in business. They had a foundation, and they helped us to build this school and this center outside the city of Lusaka in Zambia. Uh, this next picture is a picture of a garden that is dedicated in memory of Joe Whitaker. He passed away from cancer a number of years ago. But this is a, a legacy that he has left behind. And when I was there last September, I met this young man here on the right-hand side in this picture. His name is Festus Manda. And he came up and he says, do you remember me? And I said, no, I don't remember you. I'm sorry. I travel a lot. I don't remember everybody. He says, yes, it's me, Festus Banda. And he reminds me of the story. He is the little boy you're going to see in this next video. 
Now, please excuse the quality of this video. I took this 20 years ago, or 21 years ago, and it was converted from VHS to this, but meet Festus 21 years ago. Every morning I could wake up, not knowing what to do. I could see my friend go to school. It was painful, it was painful. My parents were too old and poor to take me to school. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, New Fandom, for Agape's this is Festus's sister. I could not read. I could not write. Education was a taboo in my family. Glory was joining the world of illiteracy. But because Jesus loves and cares for me, the devil fought a losing battle. Today I am in school. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, New Foundland, for Agape School. Poverty, poverty. Poverty, you have no mercy. He wanted us to be illiterate, but because Jesus loves us, today I'm going to score thank you, God, thank you, God, and for God. You will notice the thanks to Newfoundland. They had a big part in that particular village and starting that school, which was called Agape School up in Kitwe. It was our first site. But here's Festus Banda. He has now graduated university. He is a science teacher, a high school science teacher, and he's teaching in the village of Hope in Chongwe. And the lady with him, who is the director of the Village of Hope, was his first grade teacher. And she was the one that helped them memorize those little poems they put together. We have what we call Child Care Plus. It's a part of our Erdo program. It's a part of our child, it's a child sponsorship program. And the beauty of our program that's administered by so many of our global workers around the world is that we can track the lives of these children and see where God takes them through time. We know the children that we care for in the world. If you've never sponsored a child and would like to come and talk to me afterwards, I'd be happy to tell you how you could do that. Well, we've talked about Zimbabwe, so let me teach you a Shona word from the language of Zimbabwe. It's called Chabadza. And Chabadza means working together. A badza is a garden hoe. And so when somebody goes out to their garden to dig in the garden, they will go out with their badza and dig. But they won't take just one badza. They'll take two or three with them. And they put the extra ones on the ground. When their neighbor comes walking by, the neighbor can't just say, hey, how are you, neighbor? Nice to see you. He sees those extra badzas down there. And he if he's a good neighbor, has to stop, pick it up, and work with his neighbor for a while. I've tried it with shoveling the driveway in Ontario. It doesn't work. Nobody gets it. I put out the extra shovel, and it just sits there unused. Even, well, once in a while, Cindy comes out and helps me. She likes to shovel. So the word means working together. It teaches us a principle about God. We are workers together with God. Look at the scripture in 1 Corinthians 3. It says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They are only servants to, from, through whom you came to believe. Look down at the bottom. It says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Only God who makes things grow. Everything we do in our church work, our mission work, everything we do, is dependent on God making it grow. We are just servants who are called to work together with him. It's the principle of alignment. We are called to align ourselves 
with what God is doing in the world. Even Jesus understood this when he said, not my will, Lord, but thine. We are called to surrender our lives to the will of God. And this applies to every one of us here. We are all goers and we are all senders. We're all sent out. Uh, Jesus was sent by the Father. It says, And then he said, As the Father sent me, so also I send you. We're all goers. We all have a responsibility to go. Around the world, over the last 100 years, the, the Lord has given us favor as the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. We have seen, I, I, as, I, as I'm in Horizon Bible College this week, and I, if I walk down the row of all the graduates, I'm going to see at least 30 names that I recognize of people who left Horizon Bible College and went to some corner of the world somewhere. I did it last year when I was here, and I could pick them all out. This person went there, this person went there, this person went there. We have been a part of making a difference in the world. We've planted 55 national fellowships in different countries. We have planted now over, 15, over 52,000 churches through the work that we do. Over 40,000 leaders have been trained. We multiply ourselves through the training of other leaders. There are 12.2 million believers in those churches around the world today. The Lord has given us favor. We thank God for what we have been able to do together with Him. But the work is not done. There are 3.1 billion people in the world today with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They live in parts of the world where there is no church. There are places I can go in the world and shake the hands of 100,000 people, and I'm not going to shake the hands of another follower of Jesus Christ because there's no church there. Look at this map. Those green countries represent where the church is present. Now, I'm not suggesting that in those countries there's no work to do. There's plenty of work to do. Canada is one of those. But when I go to any city in Canada and drive through any neighborhood, I will see churches. I drove by Cornerstone Church over here. I drove by the Alliance Church. The church is present. It doesn't mean that we have done, finished our work here in Saskatoon, but the church is present. Sub-Saharan Africa, where I worked, where my parents worked, the church is ubiquitous, it's present. The church is there. But look at that brown section across North Africa and the Middle East and into uh, uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan and India and places like Cambodia and Indonesia, and parts of northern China. The church is not present. And that's where God wants us to go. Not only that, there are 3 billion people <clears throat> who live on less than $2.50 a day. Struggling to make a living, they have no access to the basic necessities of life. Food, clean water, sanitation, in many cases education, the opportunity to make a decent living, to support yourself. Many places, there are no jobs. Zimbabwe is going through such an economic crisis right now that we talk about 70% unemployment. 70% unemployment. Young people come out of school with a good education. There are no jobs. You look at this map and it shows you again on the map where those people are. This is, a quite, this is an issue of justice for us. It's an issue of justice for us. The least reached with no access to the gospel and the social, economically 
vulnerable without, with little or no access to the basic necessities of life. God has called us into the lostness and the pain of those two things. And what we observe is that these two groupings actually overlap. They're much the same people. Not exactly. And so God calls us into the lostness and into the pain of the world. And he says, go and make disciples in my name. And bring people a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. And, and, and if people are hungry, feed them. And if people lack clothing, clothe them. That's what God asks us to do. Well, let me give you a little taste of what God's doing around the world. Let me take you to North India, uh, first of all. I had the privilege of going with Pastor John and, and Donna. Uh, they came with me to, to North India. Uh, Pastor John subbed for me, preaching at the Kolkata Assembly of God Church when my flight was delayed and he had to pinch hit and he stepped in and preached in that church. And then we did a conference in North India. I still remember we got on a plane from there and went to Malaysia and Donna, Donna called it the miracle flight. Because getting on the flight, there were about 40 people who needed wheelchairs, but getting off the flight, nobody needed them. It was great. God healed them all in flight. It was wonderful. Well, North India is one of the most needy parts of the world. It has the most unreached people groups. Thousands and thousands and thousands of villages without witness. The good news is the church in India is quite strong. And in South India, you have 60 million believers. That's twice the population of Canada. There is a strong church there. The problem is there's 1.2 billion who don't know Jesus. Good news is these 60 million have a passion for the north. They send their own missionaries from South India to North India. This is Dr. A.B. Matthew, and he leads a ministry that we partner with called India Mission. And he comes from Kerala in the south, and he's working up in Bihar State. Bihar State is over 120 million people, three Canadas, has 40,000 villages. A village... <coughs> A village there is like Martinsville, just not as nice looking. It's about the same number of people. A village in India might be three or 4,000 people. It's like a small town. It's, 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 not, it's not insubstantial. In those 48,000 villages across Bihar State, only 2,000 that we know have, have any church or presence of believers in them. Their goal is to plant a church in every one of those villages in the next 20 years. When I first went there, I, I went to teach to the, their minister's conference, and, and, and these, these were the leaders that I was ministering to. Most of them were young, uh, new believers. Some of them were the missionaries that had come from the south, but most of them were Biharis that were from the local area. That was about 12 or 13 years ago. When I went back two years ago in the same spot, this is the same group. Still the leaders, but you can see if the leaders have grown by that much, you can imagine how much the church has grown. We have seen God at work in North India in significant ways. I, I asked Pastor Anish in this next picture. I, I met him the first time I was there. I went to the little church he was pastoring. He came from the south. I said, how do you guys go about doing this? Well, he and I have been growing old together as I visited there each year. And I said, how do you go about Planting a church or a community of Jesus followers in these villages because there is huge opposition. He says, well, we begin with prayer. 
He says, we pray and we pray until God gives us a breakthrough. Sometimes it's a miracle of some kind. Sometimes God gives somebody a vision or a dream or they bring them into some sort of relational contact with a person of peace that opens the doors for them and they're able to move in. Friends, this is why prayer is so important. We, we change history through prayer. We need you praying regularly. Some of you have a calling to be people of prayer, to be intercessors. And we need you because you are fellow workers together with us. Let me take you to Cuba for a moment. I love going to Cuba. It's one of my favorite visits when I get a chance to be down there. It's been a few years since I've gone down there. We know that communists came to Cuba in 1959. At that time, there were about 300 churches in the, the, uh, in the assemblies of God. And then churches were confiscated. Pastors were imprisoned. The island was cut off. There was no going in. People couldn't leave. The church felt completely abandoned. By 1970, they were down to about a remnant of 30 churches that they knew of. It was very, very difficult for people to worship. And finally, in 1981, it began to open up again, and we Canadians could go back in. And my father had an opportunity to go down and visit and, and meet with them. And in 1988, a revival began. So let me take you to Cuba. Have a look at the Cuban church at worship for a moment. Wow, they look oppressed, don't they? Really unhappy looking people. <laughs> They're all dancing, young and old, I may note. They may meet Jesus and they love to move a little bit. Dancing is just normal. Here's my favorite lady. This is my dancing Cuba lady. That's what I want to be like when I grow up. A little bit of energy like that. She danced for an hour. We get tired after 20 minutes. A little moonwalk for you. Back she goes. There she goes. There she goes. When I preached, she fell asleep. Jim Gus Jolin took that picture, and he delighted in showing it to me after the service. <laughs> 1988, as I said, the revival began. By 1998, they were back to 300 churches, 6,000 churches. Today, they'll say 8,500 churches. But here's what really excites me. They can now leave and come back and leave and they've been wanting to do this for years. They said, we can now send our own missionaries around the world. They sent out their first missionary. He went to Ecuador to an unreached people group up in the mountains. He was the grandnephew of Fidel Castro himself. He's a believer, follower of Jesus. who The Cuban church is sent out on mission. Come on. That's what God is doing in the world today. Let me take you to Guinea, West Africa. Uh, Muslim country, uh, a lot of West Africa's Muslim. There's a, a whole people group called the Fulani that are basically unreached uh, 
people. This is where the Ebola crisis was a number of years ago. We sent a Canadian couple there back in the 90s, and their job was to plant a city center church. We find the city center churches become the hub from which we do ministry. Nobody would rent them a place, and finally they found this building, and nobody else wanted it because it was a haunted house. Well, we didn't worry about that. We're not afraid of haunted houses. We go in, we clean it up spiritually, physically. This is that same building today. We were privileged to be able to buy it about eight years ago. It cost a lot of money after we had fixed it up. We still had to pay for it. We had to pay for the fixing up and then buy it. Uh, but it's now belongs to the Alleluia Churches of Guinea. And uh, they have three Sunday morning services on, on Sunday morning. I was able to preach there a number of years ago. They have 14 schools and they have planted 52 other churches around the country. God is at work in West Africa today amongst Muslim people. It's quite a dangerous place. There's a lot of opposition. We hear about that often in the news. But the church is alive and well, and they are passionate about getting the gospel out. You saw the video earlier. Uh, we have uh, uh, a real initiative to reach global campuses. Uh, we're, we're really trying to do that in Canada as well. We're trying to put people on every college and university campus in Canada with either a, a student church plant or a chaplaincy or some kind of a, a ministry so that we can touch the campuses. We want to do this around the world. In Thailand, for example, we have these uh, two couples. We have Zach and Megan who are in uh, Bangkok. We have Jaron and Cindy who are down in the, the, the south in a, in a Muslim area of... of, uh, of uh, Thailand where they're also on a university campus and then you saw the video with Ian and Tiffany and the work they've done to touch university students. These students come in, they've got open hearts, open minds, it's a crucial time in their life and we want to be at the intersection of that moment and give them an opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do, that's where God wants us to be. Well let me take you to another country. Uh, go one more. That's Ian and Tiffany. Let me take you to Egypt for a moment. Probably don't hear a lot about Egypt, but I think you folks have had some uh, folks through here that have been working in Egypt. Uh, I was there with a gentleman named JJ that you may know. Um, but our involvement with the Assemblies of God of Egypt goes all the way back to 1911, one of the founding members of the church was a Canadian brother who had been touched at Azusa Street, helped to plant a few churches in Canada, and went to Egypt. And as you go down the Nile River, you find these cities, and in all of those cities, you will find Assemblies of God churches. There is a Pentecostal church, present, alive, passionate, uh, aggressive um, we help them with a, a big tent for their children's ministry. They, they'll get two, 3,000 children to their camps uh, when they put them on in the holidays, and we were able to help them with a, with a tent. I was there for their <clears throat> college graduations. They have one college with six campuses. They have over 450 students, and uh, I was there for one of the graduations and was able to see these students. Look at this next picture here. I like to show this because it illustrates to me, there you see people of a different culture, different dress. Uh, you see them with their Arab headdresses on and, and look at them. 
old and young, worshiping the Lord. It just reminds me that God is looking for worshipers from every language, every tribe, every people in the world. One of my favorite places, I love going and listening to God worshiped in other languages, and sometimes they don't sing like we sing. They sing very differently. Sometimes it's pleasant, and sometimes it's not suitable for Western ears. Um, but my favorite place was Namibia, where they speak with those clicks in their language. It sounded like popcorn popping when they were singing. It was just great. And I realized God knows that language. The gospel of Jesus Christ will find a home in every culture amongst every people. And people can worship in their own language. They need the Bible in their own language. We're helping them to build a new Bible college. Uh, theirs is uh, not looking so good. It's kind of got natural air conditioning, which doesn't work so well in Egypt. So uh, we're trying to help them to build a new campus. And again, what really excites me about uh, the work they're doing when I see these young men and these young women uh, who are, have graduated is they also have a passion, not just for Egypt, but for all of North Africa. They're trying to spread the gospel across North Africa. So you see this beautiful lady here, and you say, here's a choice servant of the Lord, trained and ready to go and share the good news of the gospel with others. One last uh, country story. Let me take you to Bangladesh very quickly. I'm watching my time up there. Uh, when I've done this story, I'll have a five-minute conclusion, and then I promise I'm done, all right? Here we go. Bangladesh. 171 million people live in that city. Dhaka has 17 million people. If you look down into West Bengal and India, Kolkata, where I was with, with Pastor John and Donna, they have 20 million people living there. How do you understand that? Well, let me try and explain it to you this way. Those two cities are closer to each other than Saskatoon and Regina. There's not as much distance as the crow flies. If you took everybody from Vancouver Island all the way to Thunder Bay and squished them all into one spot, you would have Dhaka. And then if you took everybody from Thunder Bay all the way to St. John's, Newfoundland, including Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, all the big cities, and squished them into one place, you'd have Kolkata. There are more people living in that little bit of territory on the world than there is in all of Canada. And most of them have never had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bangladesh is 87% Islam, 11% Hindu, less than 1% Christian. I was there for a pastor's conference. On the way up on the drive, we met uh, this guy in the road here. And uh, I'm kind of wondering, what, what is going on? You can see he's got some rope around him. There is a guy up on top. And uh, he steps out, blocks the car. And I'm thinking, oh, man, if this was Africa, that elephant would sit on this car. But fortunately, these are Indian elephants. They're a little bit more passive. Uh, the driver is a little exasperated. He rolls down the window. He reaches into his pocket. He takes out money. The elephant puts its trunk inside, puts money into the elephant's trunk. The elephant takes it out, looks at it, puts it back in, spits it out. Wasn't enough. Driver goes into his pocket, gets out a bigger bill, puts it... Take, elephant is happy, moves aside. It's a road toll in Bangladesh. I don't think any of the money gets to the roads. But this is where you have, in addition to their 171 million people, you've had another 1 million refugees move in, and they live in these kind of camps that you see here. 1 million refugees from Myanmar fleeing uh, oppression, abuse, rape, all kinds of things that they've experienced. And uh, I'm happy to say again that 
with our partners, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Bangladesh, one of those national churches that we're a part of, uh, we're in the midst of that refugee camp. We, we, we do simple things like help them to get clean water. So if you look at this next little video, it's not very uh, fancy technology. It's very simple. Uh, but dig down some wells, put in a tube well, and it becomes a, a pump that people can utilize and come to and, and get clean water. And uh, uh, we've done about 90 of those in the... Uh, in, in the refugee camp to provide clean water. And you'll see uh, young ladies come up and collect water like this. It's always the young ladies that do that. If you look at the next little video, you see them coming to get the water. And uh, there we go. The man does the pumping, the ladies carry the water. One of the ladies who came into the camp had been abused multiple times running away from the oppressors. She was so afraid that, she, and she'd have to go and collect water a long ways away. She would drop all the water as she was walking back. And as it turns out, we, we happened to put one of our water wells right next to where she was living. And now she became a part of a community of women around that. Water is a place where community forms and they talk to each other. And our workers, our partners are right there working together with God, available to these people, helping them with their needs. And one day, this lady, Ruby, she said, why are you people here helping us? And they're able to say, it's because God loves you. God's concerned about you. God cares for you. And she, like many other of these refugees, have found Jesus Christ because somebody's there with a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. We're able to do that because we are a Canadian church that for a hundred years has had a passion to reach out well beyond ourselves to people we don't know, we will never know. And through our giving and our praying and our going, we're making a difference in the world. And we want to keep doing it for the 3.1 billion people who've never had an opportunity to hear Jesus. So I want to take you to a scripture reference in my conclusion this morning. It comes from 3 John. Let me set the context for you. John is the pastor of the Ephesus church. And he's writing this letter to Gaius, who pastors a smaller congregation, maybe a little way, maybe like Martinsville or something. It's, it's, and, and what has happened is a group of people have come through that small town, a group of strangers, a group of traveling Christians, perhaps missionaries, have come through, and they've come on to John, and this is, they reported, and, and, and so to, to John about what the small church did. And so John writes back to Gaius. He says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. Gaius has been faithful to the truth, not only with his lips, but with his life. He is walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He goes on, he says, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing 
for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. He's talking about these strangers that came through. And he said that, Gaius, you were faithful to them. You were good to them. They have told the church about your love. And then he says, please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Four minutes. It's not a four-point four sermon. It's a four-point conclusion. Very quickly. I learned four things here. Number one, before anything else, Gospel mission is rooted in a passion for the truth of the gospel. Friends, we have this treasure, this good news in jars of clay. This is what we have. This is, this is our talent. This is what we can share with the world. We have this good news, and it is the truth. It's something we can share. When those Teen Challenge guys come here next week, and they tell you their testimonies. They're going to tell you about what Jesus has done in their life. <laughs> the gospel is transformative in nature. It is the truth. Secondly, gospel truth is not just for knowing. It is for telling. <laughs> so I see this in this phrase here where it says, They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. These strangers are going to be sent back out. And John is saying to Gaius, send them on their way so that they can be tellers of the good news, but send them in a manner that honors God. You know, you may say, how do we measure how much we love God? How do I measure how much I, I love the Lord? Is it that I come to church regularly? That's important. Is it that I sing and worship and honor God? with my, That's important. Is it my Bible reading? All of those things are important. But I think what's most important is do we have a passion? Do we have the same heart that God has for the world? And I think that sometimes the measurement of our love for God is measured by what we are willing to do for the advancement of the kingdom. So this is missions month. You can give God a little spare change, perhaps a little disposable income, buy your lunch for two bucks and say, oh, yeah, I've done my part. Or you can send people on their way in a manner that honors God. And to honor God, we need to be people that are sacrificial. God gave himself for us. We've got to give back in the same way. Third principle, gospel mission must be focused on the redemption that is available only in Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's for the sake of the name, John says. 
It was for the sake of the name of Jesus, that name above every name, that name that we honor. It's for the sake of that name, that name that should be worshipped by every tribe, people, nation of the world. For the sake of that name, they went out. That's why we send people. That's why you and I are all goers. It's for the sake of the name. Fourth principle. Gospel senders who share in the sacrifice of the goers will share equally in the reward of the goers. I said at the beginning, we're all goers and we are all senders. I want to talk about our sending responsibility. I was a person who went, now I'm responsible in our Canadian office for those that we send. I am a sender. I'm a sender. And what it tells me here is that when I participate in sending people to take the gospel around the world, I get to share in the reward of those who go. Isn't that a wonderful promise? The promise is that when we pray and we give and we do so sacrificially in trying to make a difference outside of the walls of this church, we share in the reward of those who are on the front line. That's a wonderful truth. So let me ask you in closing this morning. What kind of a sender are you going to be? <laughs> and my encouragement is, be a sender who sends people in a manner that honors God. I can think of no better way to receive the blessing of God than to sacrificially participate together with God in his mission. And I can think of no better way to retain and sustain the blessing of God in your life than to work together with God in what God is doing in his world. When we align ourselves and work together with him, we pick up our Badza and work together with God. The blessing of God is ours to receive and ours to keep. God bless you this morning. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.